Welcome to the Logger and Listings Podcast with JFK Properties. This podcast gives real estate investors, experts, and entrepreneurs an opportunity to share their stories over a casual beverage. Hosted by the founding members of JFK Properties, an investment company that specializes in commercial and residential real estate. So sit back, grab a drink, and listen to this real, insightful, and sometimes funny podcast on real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to another episode of the Logger Enlisting Podcast with JFK Properties. I'm your host, Kurt Warner, and this week we have the pleasure of having Alex Musatea on with us. Alex was born and raised in Romania, immigrating to Canada in 1997 and currently living in Hamilton, Ontario. He is a husband and proud father of two who is committed to continuous personal growth. Alex has a mechanical engineering background, but prior to delving full-time into active real estate, He spent 15 years in various roles in technical sales and project management. So Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kurt. Pleasure to be here. So quick question for you. Obviously, you know, you had a background as an engineer. What was it that really drew you to real estate investing? I've always pursued, I've always had the, I guess, entrepreneurial spirit. I've always wanted to do something on my own. Uh, For the longest time, I pursued various roles and engineering technology from product management, project management, technical sales, always with the mindset of eventually doing something on my own in that field. At the time, the, the, the only tangible thing would have been to become a distributor of, of uh, pumping equipment, that sort of thing, uh, maybe importing them from other places and selling them in the Canadian market. You know, it never really materialized the, the real estate side. Uh, so in addition to the mechanical side, I've always been into construction. I've always been very hands-on, very handy. And so the, the real estate market, watching the real estate market over, uh, I guess, 2017 and onwards became a little bit more tangible than what I was doing at the time. I own property as a, a very passive buy, hold, and pray type theory, <laughs> but I watched it skyrocket in those cute last few years and then um yeah it just became more involved more in the community and uh yeah decided to pursue it that my first project on my own while i was employed basically doing all the renovation myself so i learned a lot in that process i learned what i shouldn't be doing things like using a non-hydraulic dump trailer and loading it as well as unloading it myself <laughs> which took hours <laughs> uh in the demo processes, little things like that. But the point is that, uh, you know, I, I proved the theory in that one project and then I realized it's something that's scalable and I could, you know, provided that I found the right mentorship, I could eventually scale into into a business, which is what I'm in the process of still doing. So on that first deal, it was a flip that you did. Was it in Hamilton where you live or was it somewhere else? Uh, so it wasn't a flip, sorry. It was a conversion project. So I struggled uh, a lot with this perceived with this concept of a flip, actually what drew me into real estate is once I realized the burst strategy, which nobody referred to it as the burst strategy back then to me, it was just the opportunity to take an asset, add a lot of value to it and then refinance it. But that value was in, ter- in the form of a legalized second sweep. So it was a conversion project. Mm-hmm. I did it on full permits and everything. Bought a, a thousand square foot bungalow in Hamilton, east side of Hamilton, and then converted it myself. And the whole idea was to hold it, but understanding that I have the opportunity to pull my capital out. 
So I proved that concept. I renovated it, I rented it, I refinanced it at a value on an ARV that allowed me to put pull out about 75% of my capital. I still had to leave a little bit of money into it, but I saw it working. Mm-hmm. And then I held on to it for two more years until I, you know, fast forward a couple of years, I saw the opportunity to do a lot more and just make that much more sense. I think I sold it at the peak of the market, really, uh, but it was never intended to be a flip. It was always a, a buy and hold. So what year was that first deal? That was, uh, <laughs> that was I closed on it January 2020. Uh, and then we all know what happened in a month later in 2020. <laughs> challenging times for sure. Challenging times for sure. So how have you been able to scale your business, you know, from January 2020 to where you're at now? Because you did make the transition from being an employee to being a full-time investor. So what was that kind of process like for you? So I, I mentioned that I had held a property. I had held some some real estate for the long term highly passively with a very good tenant. Well, once I completed that project, once I refied it, it would have been June, July by the time I got the refi out. And I realized that I want to do this full time. I started seeking mentorship. I started looking online for other people, for communities, for intelligence on the topic that I'm trying to pursue. And I came across masterminds. I've came across communities of people that were practitioners that had completed what it is that I'm trying to to do, which at the time in my mind was, how do I get to a point where I can quit my job? How do I make that sweet spot of $10,000 a month or whatever people like? (laughs) So anyway, and I I did come across that. I joined a, a community of real estate investors. And in that process, the market helped tremendously. I like to think that it was the ideal market that 2020, 2021 was the ideal market for trial and error, for experimenting, for doing exactly what it is that I set out to do. That helped a lot. But uh, by the end of the year, by the end of 2020, I had committed to, so September 2020, I did a flip as well. So again, now I realize that, you know, here's the passive, like this is the organic, the opportunity to gain equity, to gain value in your project organically, putting time on your side. Mm-hmm. But there's also an opportunity to do some quick flips, some active income, as I refer to it as now. So I did one of those as well. So at that point, by by the end of 2020, I had two completed projects, two proven projects, one burr and one flip under my belt. And then I had also committed in between, let's say, November 2020 till early January 2021, I committed to about 12 different projects. 12? That's right. So hold on. You went from <laughs> two completed projects in 2020, in January, and then in the fall to 12 projects. I So I was committed to 12 different projects. I hadn't closed on all 12 of them at the time, but I was committed. I had either offers that had been accepted, knowing that I'm closing March, April 2021, and some that were already closing. Yes. Yeah. That's and So what I also did in, in uh, late 2020, I sold that one property that I held for, for upwards of 10 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. The capital, the profit, the revenue from that one sale was to me the, the reserve that I've allowed myself to be able to quit my job. Mm-hmm. So committing to 12 different projects and having that you know, that one year's worth of expenses set aside is what made that, you know, that's when it became clear, okay, in order to execute on these projects, I need time, I need to quit my job and be highly active. Yep. And I have, you know, the padding to be able to do so. 
just like the stars line up. And that's just how that it is. It really is. <laughs> so when you were committed to 12 projects, were you doing this on your own or did you have other partners that you're working with on some of these? So it's interesting because one of the first ones that had closed, actually two that have closed some, like very close to each other in that January timeline, I had every intention of doing myself. Like again, the renovation myself, similar to what I'd done in the past. Oh, and again, when I realized that how many were closing, I realized, okay, this is not going to work. So on those two, I started outsourcing. I hired contractors, both of which have flopped, and I ended up having to bring other contractors. Anyway, there were some mistakes and lessons learned on those two projects. But for the most part, the, a lot of these other projects were in various partnerships and various joint ventures. So I had a very good uh, partnership with uh, a gentleman out of uh, Chatham, Julian Wursley. He's, he's you know an active investor still. So I had uh, multiple projects with him in Chatham. He was the boots on the ground acting partner. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, the distance between Hamilton and Chatham did not sustain me being out there on a regular basis. Uh, I had a project in Etobicoke. I had a project in Kitchener. Again, all part of joint ventures or, or partnerships. Uh, so, it, you know, it was always varying responsibilities, whether it be capital raising or the active boots on the ground, like doing the work themselves or managing contractors. Um, you know, it was always a combination. Do we have a general contractor that does everything you give them the key and walk away or do we project manage sub-trades? And for the most part, I would project manage the sub-trades. Okay. So you played a, quite an active role in that when you're managing sub-trades. And what was the most challenging part of actually taking on that many projects at once, regardless whether you were kind of managing the sub-trades where you gave it to a general contractor, whether you're raising capital, making sure deadlines are met, like what challenges did you face along the way? The challenges are always finding the right partners. Like everyone talks about building your power team. Your power team includes a lot of parts, includes lawyers, includes real estate agents, includes mortgage brokers, fine. But when it comes to the trades themselves, that power team is identified by trial and error. And it can cost you a lot of money and delayed projects or, or mistakes before you find out. You know what I mean? Somebody coming on, a sub-trade coming on and doing something that you're not happy with. Now you're about to fire them. You know, so that's, there's a cost associated with that part of it, or that argument. But then the, the, the downside, like putting the project on hold until you find somebody. Mm -hmm. Anytime you bring it, like if somebody, let's say an electrician has started a job and then you fire him, you bring another electrician, they're always going to be like, well, I don't know what he did here. I got to start from scratch. I don't <laughs> care if you ran half the house already. Yeah. And I, I got to be honest, I don't think I can argue with that because it's costing them more time to try to find out what the other guy did. By the end of it, he might as well just do it from scratch. So Start over. So 2021. Busy year for you as a business, yep. transition year for you, and obviously very successful because you're continuing to grow and scale your business. So one of the challenging things that we saw as investors, 2021 was great, property values going up, interest rate environment was very favorable. There was issues obviously with cost of some material, you know, finding trades, et cetera, was a challenge depending on the markets that you're in. But we hit 2022 and things changed. What has 2022 been like for you as somebody that was in really the flipping business? Yeah. Uh, so flipping was always, as I mentioned earlier, that 
2020 and 2021 was the year for trial and error, was the year for experimenting. In my opinion, it was the year to completely screw up a project and end up making more money than anticipated, which was definitely the case with at least one of my projects. You know, and part of it, so I'm going to back up a little bit. You've touched on the things, uh, a few things, cost of materials, major delays, COVID goes without saying. But one thing that saved me on a lot of projects was the financing piece. And then I've, I've also helped coach a few other investors that were evaluating deals that would have at first glance looked like a good deal, but their financing, the financing they intended on using was not ideal. So that's what killed the deal. So in my case, a few of these deals that got delayed considerably were very well financed. I remember a million dollar purchase price that got delayed by about eight months in the end, but I was paying 1.6%. It's a little hard to cry over. Uh, don't ask how. That, that was just, a, yeah. So fast forward to 2022 in an attempt to, to answer your question. You know, we've been lucky enough, and I think there was a little bit of, I guess, discipline and being able to use that capital and move more away from the flipping to the buy and holds. So now my most of my projects in 2022 have been conversion projects with the intent of a buy and hold. The financing piece is with, with the particular joint venture partners is such that it's about as good as it can get considering the market conditions, the higher rates, but with an understanding that the investors may need to leave some capital in, the perfect birds are gone. Uh, so I've been able to, I have found, you know, that ideal power team, the contractors. I'm not as, you know, that side of it is a little bit more dialed in. Mm -hmm. So I'm not suffering. I don't feel like we're suffering the same experimental pains that we did before where contractors wouldn't work out. You'd have to fire them. So that's, that's kind of dialed in. So the only downside is that now you can't sell. You don't have that big lift in a matter of a few short months, which is why most of our projects are intended like there's two particular projects that we would prefer to sell. It's not ideal to hold, mm -hmm. but we're very well structured to be able to hold, them, right? So we're not going to make that quick dollar right now, but we can hold them. We're not holding them with hard money. We're not holding it with 15%, which I know that there's some investors out there that are in this position. We're not holding them with hard money. We're just holding them with much higher financing that we did in 2020. Yeah. It is what it is. Yes. Yeah, so when you're talking about conversions, in your conversion projects that you're doing now, are you converting like um, duplex to a triplex, triplex to fourplex, or are you doing like other types of conversions? No, for the most part, my focus is duplex conversions, garden suites. So adding the third detached unit. I do have in 2022, we've been able to complete, to my knowledge, the first auxiliary detached unit garage, garden suite, garden suite in Hamilton. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure we were the first, one of the first ones to get the permit. Again, nobody really studies this, but from what we've heard from inspectors, from the various trades, we were one of the first ones to uh, obtain the permit and also complete it. So that's definitely uh, you know an area of interest for us. Duplex plus a third garden suite and then fourplexes. We have a couple of projects as fourplexes that we're legalizing on the process of updating. So my focus has been the residential one to four. Okay. And one thing that uh, is very interesting, obviously with COVID, which is when you started investing, the whole world had to learn to pivot. Businesses, individuals, investors had to figure out, you know, this is a completely different environment. So 
you've taken that ability to pivot into you know this year where I know we know several investors that weren't able to pivot that didn't really see you know the market shifting and changing and kind of stuck with you know the same mentality that they had in 2020 2021 when property values were up and they were operating in this slow interest environment what would you attribute your ability to pivot this year too? Was it just something that's innate in you with your history, just who you are as a person, or was it the experiences of the previous couple of years taking on 12 projects at basically the same time that gave you that skill? Yeah. I mean, listen, the pivoting part is there was no genius in realizing that the market is at a peak. There may have been some high level of luck because I was not in a position to buy anything. I was not looking to buy anything in January, February, March, those are like the last, the peak of the market as it started declining in the Hamilton region as well. At that particular time, I had enough on the go that I wasn't buying, so I didn't buy anything at the peak. And I saw it go down and I started buying the dip, basically. But it was no luck. It wasn't me sitting on the sidelines. I wasn't in a position to buy. Yeah, it was no genius. It was pure luck around that time. I wasn't buying and then I just saw it going down. I started buying. I immediately started buying on the Hamilton West Mountain which is the area that for these thousand square foot bungalows, in my opinion, has been the most expensive, the hardest to tap in, and the one that's held its price the best. Mm-hmm. I started to offer 60 cents on the dollar in mass. I probably pissed off every single real estate <laughs> agent in Hamilton, and I don't care. Uh, <laughs> but I closed on three or four different deals, well below the market value at the particular time. Even in today's market, one of them I'm pretty sure is like borderline, and it might not be as great of a deal as it was but the other two are still at least 10, 15% below market value. So it was a little bit of luck, but if I were to point out one thing, just kind of having a like merit, I guess, on, on the merit side is that I've always been very cautious of the financing. Like I found it very hard to work with high, ex- very expensive money. And when I did, it was, there were deals that were like, like very good deals on the buy. That's where I'm like, okay, this will make sense no matter what within the next six months. So here's the other thing. And this is the part that I sort of pride myself on. This is the part that I think provides some assurance to my JV partners, to my money partners, is that my background and my ability to jump into a project and execute on it myself, swing the hammer myself, that's, you know, I take some comfort into that. So even like if I'm looking at a project that is makes sense going in with very hard money and I see it slipping. I'm able to take that action. I'm able to jump in, which is kind of what keeps me localized to Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Because if you need to jump in, then you're you're there, and you can obviously you know step it's in. A little and hard it. to do that in Chatham. Yeah, I would use that as an example, or you know, a remote area. So, what advice would you give to somebody that is looking at getting into real estate, looking at getting into conversions or flipping, going into 2023? The advice that I swear by, but it was very hard for me to accept was partner is you know invest in yourself and like educate yourself but like education can only take you so far education can only take you so far if you don't without action it just becomes daydreaming like you can spend a lot of time watching youtube videos but if you're not able to get into a project on your own partner uh, and then back to that same point i look at myself when i did my first project the, the conversion project i wasn't confident on my ability to evaluate a deal and execute on the deal in order to do it as a flip. So I decided to do my first project as a buy and hold just in an effort and just knowing that 
once I put time on my side, I can recuperate any losses that I incur on the renovation side. I was very scared on the renovation side. What I'm learning now is a lot of the investors and what I've learned you know, quite a while back is that the, you make your money on, on the buy. The biggest hurdle is the acquisition and the financing. And once you've done a few of these and you've implemented at least a decent power team, a form of executing on the deals, the execution itself, the renovation itself is, becomes the, the third concern is nowhere near as important as the acquisition and the finance. Okay. So with your business now, where do you see it going in the next five to 10 years? Like, What are you, some of your goals? Where are you kind of trying to grow to? I know what's sort of uh, sexy. And it is interesting to me where it's going to go. I have no idea, but multifamily is of interest. Commercial to residential conversions are really sexy as far as I know. I mean, there's a major shortage of housing in Canada. And the biggest incentive is being able to identify properties that can be converted, rezoned to residential and converted in multiple units. And Mm -hmm. that's where you can get that really sexy CMHC financing, like 50-year amortizations and like 95% loan-to-value, financing, whatever that looks like. That's the sexy uh, goal that I'd like to get into. But I can't tell you that it's something that I'm actively pursuing at this point. I think there's still a lot more that I can do that whole concept of an inch wide, a mile deep. Then there's a lot more that I can do on the residential side. There are great deals to be bought. There is lots of opportunities to join venture and, and you know grow that portfolio while being able to provide generational wealth or help build generational wealth for my for my partners as well. So, you know, 80% of my efforts will go towards what I'm great at and 20% will be these uh, kind of a moonshot deals of pursuing, you know, some form of a commercial property that can be converted, I guess. Yeah, I think that's uh, very commendable because there's a lot of investors out there that get scattered, especially when they're starting out where, you know, like you mentioned, they go to YouTube and they watch a couple of videos on, let's say, wholesaling. Like, okay, I'm going to wholesale. And they try to wholesale for a few weeks. Then they go and talk to somebody at a networking event that's doing very well, maybe doing conversions or in multifamily. Then they shift completely to trying something new. So I think one of the key things that everybody that's listening to this should take away, well, there's several, but one that I'm taking away is that you definitely need to focus on you know one area of real estate, get really good at that have that as your core before you start venturing off into these other strategies, these other offshoots. I think that's one thing that um, myself, my business partners have done, you know, as well. We've stuck to, you know, long-term hold multifamily in Northern Ontario and it's, you know, worked well for us. Just that's our niche. doesn't mean that you completely ignore everything else that's happening in real estate, but your core business is, you know, this, and then, that way you have some sustainability, you have more predictable growth. And I think it allows you to stay in this game a lot longer than the people that are all over the place. And that's that's 100%. That social media, I can definitely paint a very interesting picture. I see a lot of people posting walkthroughs of these great multi-unit buildings, but they're quite often end up being just walkthroughs. That's great. I applaud them for the effort, but don't paint it like, Anyway, (laughs) no, I completely agree with you. I've seen them as well, where it's like, hey, accepted offer. You know, anybody that's been in real estate for a long time, accepted offer is just that. It means that you and the seller have agreed to some price and some terms. You haven't started due diligence. Who knows if the information you're getting is correct? And if you're, you know, going through a conversion or flipping process, you know, you have to make sure you get the proper permits and you have to 
you know, so there's a whole lot more that happens between accepted to close. What I like seeing is when somebody says, we've closed on this, that means that you've actually gone through and this is now an investment for you. And then you execute on that plan. So I, I completely agree with you. And for anybody listening that's doing that, we still love you. But <laughs> we're, we're just saying that when Alex and I see those, and I'm sure other people do as well, we, we take it with a grain of salt. Hey, don't get me wrong. I'd far rather people be out there doing walkthroughs than watching YouTube and just talking about things that they, they've read on. There's still a lot more action to get out there, have the conversations, make these awkward offers. And if they flop in the due diligence period, you still learn a lot. So don't, you know, don't let my comments deter anybody from doing these. It's just, you know, it's a matter of how you present them. My opinions on this sort of thing may prevent me from from growing because on a marketing side, I know I'm, I could be doing more. Maybe I should be doing more or in order to grow my following and my audience opportunities to join venture. If I was more like that, maybe that would help. I don't know, but it's not me and I don't plan on doing it. I will say, touch on one quick thing though, on that note, just even growth, considering growth, my growth, my revenue on 2021 was far higher than what it was in 2022. My mm -hmm. equity play in 2022 was far higher than it was. So there's a shift there. But mm -hmm. if you're looking at my balance sheet, like, yeah, 2021 looks much sexier, <laughs> right? Like, it's just, I think that that's what makes sense long term. I don't have a, like a majorly defined vision of my five-year plan, but everything I'm doing is with time in mind. So I think, you know, that's what helps me sleep at night. That's what makes me, <laughs> that's, that's how I see my future, I guess, at this point. Awesome. So Alex, before we go, I just want um, everybody to know how they can get a hold of you, your business, if they are looking at, you know, to find a joint venture partner or, you know, they run into you at a networking event, how can people get a hold of you and your business? Hammer City REI, check it out, either my website or my uh, Primarily nowadays, it's everything is social media. So definitely uh, Instagram, Facebook, Hammer City REI, or my own Alexandru.Mustatea. You can find me on either one of those. Uh, and from there on, there's various links, phone numbers, emails, that sort of thing. All right. So we will make sure that uh, those links go in the description of the podcast as well. And again, Alex, thank you very much for being on Logger and Listings. It was great to get to catch up with you, hear more about your journey, your story, and what you're up to now, and look forward to uh, hearing more in 2023 and beyond. Awesome. Thank you, Kurt. My pleasure. Cheers. All right. To everybody else, thank you for listening. Cheers. Happy investing. If you've enjoyed listening to the Logger and Listings podcast, leave a like or a comment. Not only will we appreciate it, but it will also help this podcast grow organically and help other investors and entrepreneurs grow their businesses and have fun along the way.